You are listening to episode 11 of Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 24, Diurnia Orbital, December 25, 2372. Miserioni, what do we need to do before we can move aboard? Our bodies were on the lift heading for the docks, but my mind was going five directions at once. Food, pots, pans, plates, utensils. She frowned, looking at her reflection in the metal of the lift doors. Bed linens, stuff for the head. If we had the linens and hygiene supplies, we could sleep aboard. I was trying to think of the smallest level necessary. We're already eating out, and what we need for us is relatively minor in terms of food and kitchen gear. She shuddered dramatically. Would you want to sleep on one of those mattresses, Skipper? I frowned. Good point. We took a roundabout route to the maintenance dock, stopping briefly at the chandlery for coffee grinder, two mugs, some creamer, enough sandwich fixings for a couple of days, and a box of disposable flatware. After stashing the groceries in the cooler and getting the first pot of coffee going, we adjourned to the crew berthing area to see what we needed there. Crew berthing was a bit of a misnomer. Small vessels like the Jezebel didn't have that many crew aboard as a rule. What they normally carried was passengers, and sometimes they would split the fare, putting more than one person in a compartment. On the Jezebel, crew quarters consisted of the last two compartments toward the aft end of the passage. The compartment on the port side contained a single bunk, desk, and grav trunk storage, along with a small console repeater. The compartment was outfitted for the chief engineer. Are you going to hire that guy who came with Miss Kingsley? I think so, Miss Arione. I'm not buried in chief engineers at the moment, and he seemed a likable sort. She laughed. He tried so hard to be an old crotch, but you should have seen him with the machinery, sir. I think you'll be all right. For some odd reason, her confirmation felt good. We lifted the mattress off the bunk and checked the tag. The tag said it was a standard 15-centimeter single-bunk mattress. It looked more than a bit used, and we dragged it out into the passage, leaving the naked bunk rack. That'll make it easier for you to clean, I said. She stuck her tongue out at me and laughed. Tsk, you're demonstrating a very serious lack of proper decorum, Miss Arione. If you fire me, you'll have to clean this whole thing by yourself, Skipper. She sounded like the idea had merit, so I didn't push it. Across the passage, the same size compartment held a pair of over-and-under bunks and two lockers. There was a bit more floor space, but no desk. We wrestled the mattresses off the bunks and out into the passage. Frankly, they smelled, but the tags matched. We appraised the two spaces. You know, sir, I think if we had a couple of gallons of paint, this would actually be rather pleasant. What color, Miss Arione? White overheads and something soothing. A pale blue on the bulkheads and fixtures, maybe. You want to paint the racks the same color as the bulkheads? She contemplated the crew's quarters and then looked across at the engineers. We could wait and ask Chief Bailey what colors he likes, sir. But for me, I think there's a certain sense in keeping the colors neutral and matched. Besides, it'd be a lot easier to paint. You've got a long time to live with the results, Ms. Arione. You sure you want to keep it simple? Paint's cheap, Skipper, and I just as soon keep it simple until we get the rest of the crew aboard. That makes sense to me. Let's get the dead mattresses out of here and look at the cabin. I'm pretty sure it's not the same size. We grabbed the end of the stack and dragged the mattresses down the length of the passage, tossing them down the ladder to the main deck for disposal. Ms. Arione giggled a little, looking back over her shoulder. There was a clean streak down the center where the padding had scoured a path through the loose dirt. I snorted. I wonder how we keep this all clean underway. Same way we did on the Agamemnon, sir. There's just not as many of us to do the work. True, but not so much of it to do, either. We went into the cabin, and it was much as I remembered it. 
Having a better perspective on the other compartments on the deck, I realized it was almost twice as large. The bunk was, in fact, larger, and the mattress tab read standard full mattress rather than standard bunk. Ms. Arione arched an eyebrow. Rank hath its privilege, eh, Skipper? Suppose that's for entertaining the passengers on long, lonely voyages? She chuckled evilly at my discomfort, but the thought was probably more valid than I wanted to consider. I suspect it's to keep from crowding the captain's larger ego, Ms. Arione. She looked at me, but then burst into laughter at the jest. We grabbed the mattress and pulled it off the rack, dragging it out and tossing it down the ladder on top of the others. That really wasn't in that bad a shape, Skipper. I know, but your insight into its probable provenance is enough to make me think a new one is a good investment in comfort. She giggled a bit at that as we returned to the cabin. This needs paint too, Skipper. You gonna go with your dark colors in here? I tried to picture it and shook my head. Too small and no port to look out of. I thought about it for a few heartbeats and said, I rather like your idea of a pale blue with white overhead. We stepped back out into the passage and looked down the length of it. Do we keep the same color scheme here, do you think? That seems like an awful lot of blue, Sar. Let's wait to decide that. It won't make any difference to us in the short term, and painting this is something we could do underway. I arched an eyebrow at her. She saw it and shrugged. I'm guessing these trips might get long, Skipper. I snorted and led the way into the galley. The smell of the coffee hadn't made it out into the passageway, but it grabbed my nose as soon as I stepped onto the mess deck. In a matter of ticks, we had fresh coffee and clean china mugs. I sipped gratefully, feeling myself center again as I stood on the mess deck with mug in hand. Too bad we couldn't wallpaper here, Skipper. Ms. Arione gazed around at the bulkheads, but she saw my look. Really? I'm thinking if I were a passenger seeing another solid-color bulkhead for what, a month and a half? She shrugged. Something with a little pattern would be good. I looked around. It really was more of an eat-in galley than a galley and mess deck. Even more than the Agamemnon had been, the compact food prep and clean-up area took up only one corner with some storage and pantry along one bulkhead. Interesting idea, Miss Arione. I tried to picture it in my mind's eye. Perhaps a solid color above and a chair rail effect. Possible. You're going to put a repeater down here, Skipper, like the one we had on the Agamemnon? I intend to. I nodded at the open space beside the door. Right there, I think. You know, Skipper, we don't really need a full console. No? No, sir. Just one of those video displays like back at the LaGrange. It doesn't need to be that big, but if we had one of those, then anybody with a tablet could link to it. If the tablet's on the ship net, then we're as good as a console, almost. Excellent idea, Miss Arione. Thanks, Skipper. She beamed at the attention, and I felt old. I should have thought of it myself. I drank a bit more of my coffee and roused. Okay, Miss Arione, we need to get crew quarters ready for new linens. We'll have one more night at LaGrange, and tomorrow night we sleep aboard. She heaved a sigh. I knew it was too good to last. Can we at least knock off early and get one more good night's sleep? Well, let's see how the afternoon goes, shall we? I went to the chiller and pulled out our packages of bread and cheese fillers, laying them out on the counter and breaking into them. How soon before you own the ship, Skipper? Didn't I tell you? She shook her head. Either tomorrow or the next day. Mr. Simpson wasn't sure. Day after tomorrow, the Chernyakova auction ends. Really, Miss Arione? I'd lost track. She laughed at my bland tone and helped me make a couple of sandwiches, laying them out on paper towels and using the disposable flatware. We need to get real dishes, Skipper. I could feel the pressure of ownership already building. Getting the ship was one thing, but outfitting it, keeping it supplied, paying the crew, would all fall to me. I had enough money saved to get by for a few weeks, and the capitalization would cover more. I found myself worrying that there wouldn't be enough, even with the Chernyakova prize money. I know, Miss Arione. I know. 
I also knew that while we might knock off early aboard the ship, I'd be working into the night to develop the budgets and plans required to take the ship from maintenance to service in the least amount of time possible. After we finished our makeshift lunch, we drained our cups and broke out the cleaning gear. Working together, we got the three crew spaces cleaned and ready for painting. It took most of the afternoon, but it left enough time to clean the two shared heads as well, clearing the way for us to move in. Ms. Arione stowed her cleaning gear and made a fast pass through the galley, shutting down the coffee urn and wiping down the counter. I did a quick cleaning in the private head in the captain's cabin. We secured ship around 1600 and headed for the chandlery to place our order. It took almost a full stand to pick paint and painting supplies, select mattresses, pillows, and linens for each. I probably would have forgotten, but Ms. Arione reminded me to get the supplies we needed to stock the heads with proper hygiene products, towels, and toilet tissue. I couldn't help but marvel that the higher I got on the ladder the more I became concerned with the details. I began to feel a bit overwhelmed, but tried to allay my fears by considering that once we completed the initial setup, all we needed to deal with was restock and resupply. We'd have weeks between ports to deal with that problem instead of merely a few too short days. Considering how much we had accomplished in only a week, I thought perhaps I wasn't doing too badly. I made a mental note to figure out some new way to stop making mental notes and start making real notes so I might be able to delegate a few of them and even remember what they were. We left the chandlery finally, having made arrangements for delivery of the materials and supplies, and headed back to the hotel for a shower and change of clothes before dinner. When we returned to the hotel, Ms. Arione hemmed and hawed a bit. Is there something on your mind, Ms. Arione? Sort of, Skipper. Spit it out, Ms. Arione. After spending a day in the glamorous pursuit of a clean toilet, there's little need to stand on ceremony at this point in the game. She giggled a little. Good point, sir. She paused and considered. Would it be okay if I went out for a bit? I blinked at her. Why wouldn't it, Miss Arione? She sighed and plunked down on the sofa across from me. After all the stink I made about security, I haven't wanted to leave you alone. But I could really use a little time ashore myself, especially if we're moving back aboard ship tomorrow. I understand, Miss Arione. Please, go have some fun. You're not planning on going out again, are you, Skipper? Her question was a bit tentative, as if she might be afraid of my answer. No, Miss Arione. I'm in for the evening. I want to work up some budgets before I get too far down the rabbit hole. Knowing where I need to spend it will help me prioritize what we can do. Well, that makes sense, sir. Well, I hope so, Miss Arione. So you're sure it's okay, sir? Yes, I'm sure, Miss Arione. I promise not to leave or even open the door while you're gone. She grinned in sudden relief. Thank you, Captain. Thank you, Miss Arione. You've been a great deal of help the last few days, and I appreciate it. Now, just go have some fun. Remember, we're getting underway early in the morning, so don't stay out too late. Aye, aye, sir. With that, she flounced out, and I settled in to deal with numbers. After a couple stands of head-down number crunching, I had a working budget for payroll and some ballpark numbers for daily operating expenses underway. I also had a splitting headache, and all the physical labor of the day began to catch up with me. I saved the files and made sure I had backups, stood up with a groan as stiffened muscles complained about being asked to move. I smiled and considered the benefits of a hotel bath, complete with jacuzzi jets for dealing with complaining muscles, and was soon neck-deep in hot, swirling water. When the water had cooled and the porcelain of the tub got just a tad too hard, I crawled out, wrapped myself in the hotel terry cloth, and sought the sumptuous comfort of the king-sized bed. Chapter 25, Diurnia Orbital, December 26, 2372. By the time we broke for lunch, Miss Arione had finished painting the crew quarters in the engineer's stateroom. I painted the captain's cabin. While I knew we were not making that much real difference in the ship, it was progress we could see. 
We just settled on the mess deck with a couple of sandwiches and some fresh coffee when my tablet bipped me. I found a message from William Simpson inviting me to the signing ceremony at 1400. The last few lines left me with a cold feeling in the pit of my stomach. Civilian attire. There will be press. Prepare a statement for them. Ms. Arione saw the expression on my face. What is it, Skipper? Did the deal fall through? I shook my head. No, no, it's just the signing is at 1400 and I have to give a statement to the press. About what? I shrugged and took another bite of sandwich. Probably something about what a thrill it is to form the company and all that. I'm not sure. I don't expect there'll be a lot of people there. It's not exactly front-page stuff, is it? Just a minor blurb on the new and not terribly notable column in the business section? She took a large bite from her sandwich and shrugged. I could see her eyes looking me over. At first I thought she was looking at my face, and I self-consciously dabbed my mouth, thinking I'd left a gob of mustard or something. Eventually she swallowed the bite and grinned. We might have picked a better day to paint. I saw the speckles of blue and white on the backs of my hands and up to my wrists. The ship suit seemed to have taken the worst of it, but Miss Arione kept looking at my head and face. How bad is it? I asked. She twisted to one side to get a better look at the side of my head. That's a good look for you, sir. Her mouth twitched into a mocking half-smile. You might want to try to wash that off, though, before it sets up any more. I couldn't help but laugh myself. You're enjoying this way too much, Miss Arione. Has it occurred to you that you'll need to come out with me? I craned my head up to look down at the top of her head. I bet that'll be hard to get out of your hair. She stopped chewing suddenly, and her eyes flipped up as if she were trying to see her own head. What? She mumbled around a mouthful of sandwich. Oh, nothing. I'm sure you'll find a way to cover it up. She narrowed her eyes at me and swallowed. Skipper, you're kidding, right? No, not at all. You'll need to come with me, or have you given up on the bodyguard thing? She rolled her eyes and growled her exasperation. No, sar. She gave special emphasis to the sar, as if it meant something more like idiot, which it probably did in that context. The hair. What is it? White paint? Blue? I cocked my head and squinted. A little of both, I think. I hope the showers work, sar. Me too, Miss Arione. Me too. She stuffed the last corner of the sandwich into her mouth and washed it down with coffee. You finish eating, Skipper, and I'll try the crew head. Civvies for this one, right? Yes, Miss Arione, that's what the note said. Then you better go pick out what you're going to wear while I get cleaned up, sir. Nobody's going to be paying much attention to me, but you don't want to look rumpled for this auspicious moment. I could hear her chuckling all the way down the passage. She did have a point, and both my grav trunks were on the main deck. I followed her example by finishing my sandwich in two overly large bites, washing it down with coffee, and stacking my mug in the sink before trotting down the ladder. The trunks were still locked down just at the foot of the ladder, and I eyed the pile of mattresses and linens. I wondered what Ms. Arione would use for a towel, given that a small bale of terry cloth lay intact where the chandlery men had unloaded it. We'd spent a few ticks stocking the heads with soaps, depilatory toothpaste, and paper as soon as the shipment had arrived from the chandlery, but in our haste to get painting, we hadn't unpacked the linens. I grinned as I dug into the trunk containing my civvies, quickly assembling slack shirt and jacket into a more or less cogent hole. I pulled a pair of the new shoes out of the pocket in the side and called it good. Remembering to pull a towel from the bale, I took shirt, slack, skivvies, and shoes back to the cabin, where the smell of fresh paint reminded me to be careful with my clean clothes. I looked around for some place to lay them out, without notable success. I stood there for a moment, wondering how long it would be before I'd get to a point where every time I tried to do something, there weren't two obstacles I hadn't considered in the way. Sighing, I eased my way back out of the cabin and made my way down the passage to the crew's head. I could hear the water running in the starboard side, so I took the port, and was glad we had spent the time to clean, but had been too busy to paint. 
It looked a bit rough around the edges, but I didn't need to worry about paint stains on my trousers. In a half a stand, I managed to get myself presentable, although, after the sumptuous living in the hotel with hot and cold running everything, the ship felt rather makeshift. It didn't help that the towel bar fell out of its brackets when I pulled on the towel after my shower. I grabbed my necessities from the pockets of my ship suit and slipped my tablet out of its holster. As I headed back down the ladder to fetch my jacket, the tablet bipped, and I opened another note from Mr. Simpson. Minor hitch. Need to see you soonest. Bring your wallet. I slipped on my jacket, stowed the tablet on the inside pocket, and shouted up the ladder. Miserioni, we got trouble. We need to move it. She pelted down the ladder, looking quite respectable in a sedate pantsuit and dark green and a pastel green blouse. What's up, sir? I just got a hurry up for Mr. Simpson. He wants to see us soonest. I'm assuming that civvy speak for at your earliest convenience. Are you ready to go? I saw her eyes widen slightly when I mentioned earliest convenience. That was officer speak for drop what you're doing and move it. Rationally, it was pretty silly, but apparently it was a practice that went back centuries. Ms. Arione took a quick survey around her person, patting various locations where I assumed she'd stowed items of import, including the inside of her thigh. I wondered, idly, how she'd be able to draw a blade sheathed there with her slacks on. I found my conclusion disturbing. If you're done perving me, Skipper, I'm ready. Oh, sorry, Miss Arione, merely marveling at your forethought and ingenuity. She gave me a smile that I think she intended to carry a certain level of wry disapproval, but ended up looking only sad. Any indications as to what he needs? She asked as she led the way across the deck and keyed the lock. My guess is money. She looked at me sharply. I thought he was giving you money, sir. I did too, Miss Arione. It's not a good sign. She shot me a glance as she led the way out onto the cold maintenance docks. The vehemence in my voice surprised me. As the lock swung down and sealed, I marveled at how attached I'd already become to that hunk of polymer and steel. It wasn't even mine yet, and I was already being protective. Sir? Miserioni's voice broke me from the reverie. Are you ready? Let's go, Miserioni. She gave me a glance, but didn't speak again as we made our way to the offices of Larks, Simpson, and Green. When we stepped into the office, the receptionist nodded in recognition. Captain, he's waiting for you next door. He held out a hand, indicating a discreet door to the side. I nodded my thanks, and Ms. Arione led the way through the door. It opened in a small auditorium, with a podium standing in front of a large backdrop emblazoned with the Lark, Simpson, and Green logo. Mr. Simpson sat at one end of a table, scowling at his tablet, but looked up when we entered. Ah, Captain, thank you for coming so soon. His eyes went to Ms. Arione, who stepped back discreetly to stand beside the door. And the redoubtable Miss Arione, is it? He smiled and nodded at her, which did not lessen her obvious discomfort at being recognized by a man she did not know. "'Nice to meet you, Mr. Simpson,' she murmured. He nodded once more to her and then beckoned me to the table with an open hand. "'The press will be here soon, my boy. We have a problem that needs resolving quickly before they do.' He resumed his seat and nodded to the chair next to him. I took the offered chair and tried not to tense up in anticipation. My mind kept skipping from disaster to disaster in spite of my attempts to contain it. Perhaps sensing my discomfort, Mr. Simpson sat up a little straighter and turned to look at me with a small smile. Money makes many things possible, my boy, he started softly. Mostly it makes people stupid. I felt my eyebrows flit up in surprise at his offhand, even bitter comment. He snickered. Don't be surprised. You'll notice it yourself soon enough, I wager. He turned back to his tablet and slid it over the draped table for me to see. The problem is, Roger Wentworth has backed out of the deal, leaving you a bit short. I marveled at how he could sit and calmly say ten million credits was a bit short. 
Barbara Green is fit to be tied over it, and she's ready to nail young Larks's hide to the hull of the next outbound freighter, but we need to deal with the fallout. He looked over at me to see if I was still with him, and I nodded briefly to let him know I had not gone totally catatonic. On the scale of things I normally dealt with, this was fantasy land, so I was able to keep a bit of distance. It only impinged slightly on reality when I considered we actually discussed a ship docked four decks down. I've got a plan to get us over the hump, but it's not pretty, and it's potentially going to leave you exposed. How exposed? Well, it could cost most, if not all, of the prize money from the Chernyakova. What's the deal? Wentworth backed out this morning, and Barbara doesn't have another angel in her pocket to take his place. She might be able to find somebody, but we're against a filing deadline here and need to get these transactions registered in the next few ticks. I'm with you so far. Good lad. With only three investors, you're only going to get thirty million. Bottom line, you need money now, and we have no tame investors to tap, and we have a time deadline. Give me a few days or a week. Things might be different. They might not, but tomorrow is the day the Chernyakova settles, and my sources on Breakall are telling me nothing. We do know that the Alice will dock in a bit more than a week. When it does, and Jarvis sets foot back on station, Miss Kingsley becomes subordinate again. Jarvis can scotch the deal. You must be firmly in control, and preferably halfway to somewhere else by the time that happens. He looked at me, head tilted down and eyes wide. I won't even pretend to understand that, Mr. Simpson, but I've trusted you so far. Lay on, Macduff. To the battle before us, then. He turned back to the tablet. I've secured a note for you, backed by the company. As collateral, you'll put up one of your shares with a book value of ten million. He leaned over to explain. That's the share that Wentworth is going to want to sell his soul for in about two staniers. He chuckled evilly before continuing. The note is only eight million, but that's enough to get the ship, pay the fees, and even have a little left over for refitting. If you sign this note, we can close the deal today. Sir, Kimball wants forty for the ship. I could feel the panic rising in my chest as the digits with significant numbers of zeros after them began adding up. Oh, we talked him down to thirty-five yesterday, my boy. We... Yes, yes. Kristen and I paid a visit to Kimball yesterday and convinced him to lower his asking price to thirty-five. That would have left you with a very nice cushion to cover your start-up costs. As it is, it's tight, but adequate for your immediate needs, my boy. You talked him into lowering the price by five million? He nodded and gave a matter-of-fact shrug. Oh, yes, I realize that's a lot to you, but it represents a tiny fraction of the business that Lark Simpson and Green does with the yard. He said it so blandly, so calmly. I stared at him for about ten heartbeats, unsure if I'd just heard him correctly. He broke my reverie. Captain, time is of the essence. Do you want to secure this note or not? My rational brain still churned, but I managed to ask, Terms of the note, sir. Six percent, flat rate. He paused and looked over at me, and I knew the hook was coming. Ninety days. I ran the numbers in my head. Payback is what? About... Eight and a half million in ninety days? He pursed his lips in a deprecating expression. Eight point four eight, but close enough, yes. I should get enough to cover this within a few days, right? When the Chernyakova settles? In theory, but it's bad business to count the money you haven't banked. Mr. Simpson, is this a good deal? He twisted sideways in his seat and rested one elbow on the chair back, the other on the table to lean into me. It's the best deal I can give you, Captain. Things are moving very fast. There are a lot of risks, but at the moment you are holding all the cards. He lowered his head to look up at me from under bushy white brows, the light fairly snapping in his eyes. 
You can pull the plug right now and walk away. You're only out what you've paid out of pocket. We can find you a ship you can lease, put together a different cartel. Maybe we can even work out a deal for the Jezebel with Jarvis when he gets back. He paused and shrugged. Not a soul would blame you if you did. These kinds of deals fall apart at the last minute every day. Or, I asked, or you can take the note and roll the dice and go. Is that flying a little too close to the sun, sir? A slow smile spread across his face. You are the one with the wings on your back, my boy. It's your call. Worst case is that in 90 days, what, I'm back here broke and looking for a job? I think there are a lot worse cases than that, Captain, he winked at me. But financially, yes, I believe that's true. How much time do I have to decide? We have to file by the top of the hour, or we have to kill it and refile for tomorrow. I glanced at the chronometer on the wall. It read 1348. He grinned. No pressure. I snickered and thumbed the tab. Can I rename the ship when I register? Of course. What name? Iris. He looked at me out of the corner of his eye. Nice choice. The messenger goddess. Auspicious. I hope so, sir. His knotted fingers moved rapidly over the tablet, and twice he held it over for me to thumb. As the chrono clicked over, people started filing in from the far door. Most of them seemed to know each other, and they filtered down to the front of the auditorium, their voices only quiet mumbles from where I sat. The blood pounded in my ears as I realized I'd just gone eight and a half million credits in debt, a debt I was not entirely sure I could pay back. He slapped the tablet one last time and muttered, There! He looked at the screen intently, waiting for something, and I glanced over just in time to see Accepted flash up. Congratulations, Captain, he said. Your company owns a ship. Thanks for listening to Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper. Music is Larry O'Gaff, a traditional tune performed by Ragtime Larry and Tom Joad and is used with permission of the artists. You can find this and other works by Ragtime Larry and Tom Joad on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. license. For more information about the book, the author, and the golden age of the Solar Clipper, visit www.solarclipper.com.